You're listening to the Radical Disruption Podcast with Maya Nicole, nursing student turned multi-six-figure online entrepreneur. Here we talk all things real and raw when it comes to entrepreneurship and what it really takes to get to the next level. Leave the small biz talk at the door and buckle up for the tangible, tactical, and actionable steps that will help guide you in building a disruptive business. Let's dive into the show. Hello, hello, hello. I feel like it has been 10,000 years since I sat down to record a podcast episode. Really, it's been probably like three weeks, but I feel like so much has happened since then. I went to Arizona. I went to uh, Durango, Colorado to visit family and see my brother-in-law graduate. And then I went to the Kajabi event in Austin And I had an ultrasound with my, well, it was my first and only ultrasound with baby G. And just so much has happened. And by the time you're even going to listen to this episode, it's so much more is even going to be happening. I guess that's the, the power of batching as well as the downfall of batching podcast episodes is that it's not really in real time. But that being said, still great things, still all of the greatest updates. So I am back for part two on how I'd navigate that. And if you haven't listened to part one already, it is episode 12 and it is fire. And I break down 10 different situations in that episode. And in today's episode, I'm going to break down 10 additional situations building off of the situations in part one. And if you're like, I didn't listen to part one, I don't even know what the heck she's even talking about. So I posted on Instagram on stories a few weeks ago, I posted a question box and it said, give me different situations that come up in your business that you want my advice on or just my perspective or we are just curious on how I navigate that. And so that is how this entire, I guess, podcast series came about. And I can see many, many, many more parts coming in the future. I think that they're just so, so, so highly valuable. So much tangible information that you can take and walk away with. I oftentimes give scripts in here, different step-by-steps. Yeah, it's just so, so, so valuable. So that is how I'd navigate that. And that's what these situations are all going to be. So again, 10 different situations and 10 different things that I'm going to walk you through in terms of how I navigate. Situation number one, someone is copying you. Ultimately, how I would navigate this depends on what the copying is and to what extent. So I'm going to run through two different scenarios underneath this situation. So number one is someone is copying your Instagram content. Now, if it is word for word copying on Instagram and it's like one or two times that they've been copying you, I would reach out via email or maybe even direct message, send them a link to the content that they copied, send them a link to your content that they copied, and then ask them kindly to take it down. Most people will. If that doesn't work, though, you can always fill out a form that reports them for copyright infringement via Instagram. Super, super easy to do. And I'll leave a link to the form in the show notes so you can save that. And then after that, I would block them. Usually people are pretty good when you direct message them or you email them and you ask them kindly to take down. Usually they're pretty good about that. Even then, depending on the severity of the copying, I might probably block them even after I kindly ask them to take it down. But it just depends ultimately. And I will say that Instagram is usually pretty good about copyright infringement and taking down the post. So when you fill out that form, I can't speak from 100% certainty that every single time that you submit a report that it's going to go through. But usually Instagram's pretty good about taking down that post if it's deemed infringement. Now, if they've copied a bigger aspect of your Instagram, like branding multiple pieces of content, or even just the structure of your content or phrases or overall vibe, I would personally send them an email that is a very professional and direct email. The way that I would go about this would be something along the lines of, you know, hey, I'm just reaching out to you. You know, there is a difference. And I would kind of go through a little bit of the conversation of, you know, there's a difference between inspiration and imitation. And this is imitation. And I would basically go through and I'd show whether that you do this in like a Google Doc or you just simply show them side by side inside the email. 
I would go through and I'd say, <laughs> you know, here's a picture of your Instagram account. Here's a picture of mine. They look very similar and kind of list some things underneath of the similarities. And then I would say, here's a picture of your content. Here's a picture of my piece of content, basically copied word for word. Or, you know, obviously just going through all these things and giving them visual examples and showing it side by side, because then there's basically going to be no argument, right? No argument of like, well, you know, I didn't copy. I mean, it's like, okay, I'm showing you side by side of all the different things you've copied. Obviously, the more information that you have, the more things that you can show and compare side by side, the better it's going to be approaching them. If it's just one thing, again, usually I would just approach them via direct message and say, hey, you copied this, will you please take it down? But this is more of like, this is intense where like they've copied a lot of things like your branding and some really big things that like, not to say that it doesn't matter if they copied you on a smaller scale, like copying at any scale just is not right. But when it's at a bigger scale, it's a more serious issue, in my opinion. That's going to be that email that you send them. It's a little bit more serious. You're going to showcase side by side. And I would end the email, you know, giving them a certain time frame and saying, hey, uh, take these posts down within X amount of days or else, and then kind of giving stipulations from there. And so it's going to be a little bit more stern, a little bit more professional, not as friendly as the direct message of like, hey, please, please take down my post. It's going to be, this is a big deal because my business is my livelihood. I've spent time building my brand, my voice. I've spent time creating this content and you're copying it, uh, which is not cool, you know? And so ultimately you have to stand up for your business. It is your business. It is your livelihood. There's a lot of time and effort that you spend pouring into that. So it is worth standing up for yourself and for your business. That's how I would go about doing it. All right. Now, situation number two is someone is copying your business in terms of your offering. So situation number one is more of like Instagram content. Situation number two is someone's copying more of your business offerings, the structure of different things, uh, maybe even like wording on sales pages, things like this. This is similar to the scenario above with content. And again, if it's just like one thing, I'd approach it in a less formal way. But if it's several things or even just one really big thing, like maybe they copied your entire course, like that's one thing, but that's a really big thing, right? Like if it's one small thing, like maybe it's like a tagline, you know, but like their course title is different, their sales page is different, their offer is different, but like the tagline is the same, then maybe I'd approach them maybe in a less formal way. Um, if they didn't respond to that, then I would take a little bit, you know, of a, a more stern approach to it. But again, if it's like one big thing, then I'd send like a, a similar formatted email as what I was just previously talking about, where you know you're comparing their business, their offerings to your business, your offerings, and basically showcasing like here's the exact proof of the copying, and there's not really any way to say that you didn't copy. Another thing, and hopefully it doesn't come down to this, but if it does know that you have the right to get a lawyer involved and take legal action with demand letters and all of that good stuff. Ultimately, protect yourself and your business and your hard-earned work. And lastly, I will say that there are certain things that you can do around offers specifically, like inside of your business that can add further legal protection, like filing for copyrights or trademarks for your offers. This costs money and it does take time. And so I would consult with a lawyer to see if it makes sense for you and where you're at in your business. And I'll link some amazing people who have legal resources down in the show notes. And these legal resources around copycats and just, you know, business legalities in general and protecting yourself and making sure that, you know, other people aren't taking advantage of you at the end of the day. And so you can check that out in the show notes. And there's a bunch of free resources as well as paid resources. All right. Situation number two. A customer who's not great with communication suddenly blaming you for her own misunderstanding, but also your policies didn't explicitly state the thing that she's arguing about, but also she's being rude. All right. When it comes to customers, even though it's hard, I like to go into every situation navigating it as if the customer is right. The customer is always right is kind of the how you got to go into those situations. Sometimes they aren't right, but most of the time there is something on our end as business owners that we could improve upon and learn from. So in this situation, I personally would, number one, I would address the situation. I wouldn't run from it. I would just straight up address the situation. I would, number two, let the client feel seen and heard. 
And sometimes they just simply need to let it all out. And then they're going to be a little bit more reasonable to work with when they've like said their piece. So sometimes they just need to say their piece and you just need to be a listening ear. Just let them feel seen and heard. Let them speak about whatever they need to speak about. Number three, I would apologize for lack of clarity around the policy and let this client know that you appreciate the client for bringing this to your attention because creating the best client experience is of utmost importance. And this now allows you to be a better coach. It allows you to be a better business owner because this client brought it up to you. So thank them. And you might be thinking, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard going through this because this client is wrong. This client is being rude to me. Again, And if it takes a few days for you, like if you need to like step away, ultimately, like depends on the severity of this, right? Like I would address the situation as soon as possible. But like if you need to give yourself 24 hours to like decompress so you can go into this conversation with a clear head and being able to navigate it without like being triggered and your emotions, uh, you know, coming up in that sense, definitely do it. But ultimately, again, we go into it with the customer is always right. And there is something to be learned because I really, truly do believe that there is something to be learned. Even if the customer is wrong, it's like, okay, well, what can I do on my end to make sure that there's more clarity? So again, number three, apologize for lack of clarity around the policy. Number four, create an action plan moving forward. So this doesn't happen again not just written policies, but specifically with this client, how to navigate communication, or if he or she is just simply being unreasonable and you no longer want to work with them, offer them a partial refund and a release from the contract to cancel your time together if the client is not satisfied with your time together, ultimately. So those are kind of two different options there that you can say for your you know plan of action is the plan of action could be, okay, well, I understand that you're upset about XYZ. You know, I'm sorry about it. You go through all these different steps, right? And now it's like, okay, you know, I want to make sure that I give you the best client experience moving forward. So how can I make sure that I'm doing that for you? And ultimately, you know, here she's going to come back. They're probably going to give you a list of different things. If that makes sense to you and you're like, okay, I can do that. Great. Move forward with it. If it's like unreasonable, or like breaking like 50,000 of your boundaries, or even just multiple of your boundaries, just release them from the contract, do a partial refund. Obviously, don't refund them from the time that like they took up, you know, the time that you worked together, but refund them for anything moving forward. After all that, depending on how, you know, you decide to move forward, on your end, I would make sure that you put a policy in place and have very clear boundaries around all of this so it doesn't happen again with future clients. So for me, when it comes to communication, I have it listed in my application for one-on-one coaching on the checkout page, in my onboarding email, in my contract. So it is very clear how I'm going to be showing up in the container and there's no confusion as to why I am or not doing certain things. So that is something that, again, there's, there's a learning lesson to everything in business and everything in life. But I think especially when, you know, these situations arise, with clients and they're kind of uncomfortable situations. So don't get me wrong. Like I'm not like, oh, rainbows and butterflies. Like I'm just going to treat this as if it is nothing. You know, it's like that sucks, you know, especially the fact that, you know, she's arguing about it and she's being rude. So I want you to know that like you are valid in your feelings. And that's why I was like, if you need to step away for a little bit to clear your head and be able to come back into that conversation with her, with a clear head and with like more neutral energy, 100% do that. But ultimately, again, going into it, the perspective of, you know, the client is right. Okay, well, what can I learn from this? All right. Situation number three, there's a lot of situations about unhappy clients and navigating clients. So if that's something that is going on in your business, then keep listening. There's probably one of these situations that's going to be applicable. All right. Situation number three, how to navigate an unhappy customer slash client who is never happy and always wants more. So again, I just have to say that dealing with unhappy customers or any sort of customer issue, it just sucks. And I'm sorry that it is happening. And if it hasn't happened to you yet and you're listening to this, it probably will. So know, knowing how to approach it will be able to help you navigate it when it does. And I also think for me, like, Knowing how to approach situations before I even get into those situations really helps me to go into those situations with like more of a level head 
because when I don't know how to approach situations before I get into them, especially when it comes to like clients, there's those emotions that get built up because again, we're human beings. And like, of course, if there's an angry or unhappy customer immediately, we're like, okay, I'm doubting myself. I'm doubting my abilities. I'm doubting my knowledge. I'm doubting everything about myself, you know, like about my business, my entire life goals. At least that's me, you know, and I go into the spiral. But when I have a plan going into it, like even if I haven't navigated those things yet, you know, if I have a plan, like a system of procedures, SOPs for those different things, it helps me so much going into those things of like, of course, like I'm still going to feel those emotions, but I'm going to be able to go into it with more of a level head or at least, you know, have these systems where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to follow the systems. I'm just going to follow, you know, or that's a copy and pasted script or whatever it is. It just helps me so much. So again, if you haven't been in these situations yet, odds are pretty high you're going to be in that situation. It's not because you're a bad business owner. It's just part of the business journey. So I encourage you to figure out what those systems are and how you would approach these situations before you even get into these situations. So everything that I'm saying, I'm like, okay, obviously you're listening to me and how I navigate that. But I ask you, okay, situation number three, you know, like how to navigate an unhappy customer. Okay, well, how would you do that? Mary? And how would you do that, Joe? And how would you do that? So ask yourself, like, how would you navigate these situations as I'm talking about these as well? Again, I'm not saying that to scare you or discourage you. But again, it's just simply it's just it's just part of business. For this, though, how I would navigate it, there are two approaches that I would take depending on the client. And a lot of these different situations, how I would navigate them really just depends on the client. Because I mean, there's so many different ways that this could go. And there's so many details that I don't know about these certain things. So I'm going to usually give you a few different examples. But again, there's two different ways that I would really approach this. Number one, I would start the conversation by saying something like, are you open to receiving deeper coaching on this? Or something along the lines of, I've noticed a pattern in the way that you talk about blank. Are you open to discussing this further? Now, the reason why I might approach this situation in this way is because sometimes sometimes they are unhappy because they aren't seeing results, but they aren't seeing results because they're not implementing what they're learning and taking action. And it is your job as the coach to bring this to their awareness and dive deeper into what is going on and how to support them so that they do start seeing results. So sometimes there is that underlying thing that you might have to have this uncomfortable conversation with them about to dig deeper to actually help them start seeing results. Now, number two, though, is I would ask them, ultimately, again, this depends on the situation. I'm not saying that you should do both of these things. I would say do one of these things based off the situation. Number two could be that you ask them what they had expected from the container. And if the expectations didn't align with whatever it was that I delivered on, I would share options moving forward, maybe like a partial refund or whatever makes sense in terms of, again, what their expectations were. And so I shared, I think it was like three, maybe two podcast episodes ago about a really hard week that I had in business. And one of the coaching clients that I actually navigated this exact same situation, I talked about it a little bit more in depth in that episode. So if you want to go back a few episodes. It's I think it was titled like a really hard week in business or a hard week or something like that. I had a one-on-one client who, amazing one-on-one client, don't get me wrong, absolutely love her to death. I've worked with her multiple times in my business, but the expectations that she had for the container were not what I was able to deliver inside of the container. And so again, it gave me that opportunity to really make sure that I check on my end of like, making sure that my clients know what to expect from my container and making sure it's very, very clear. So that was a learning lesson there for me. But also, I just realized, and I asked her this exact same question. I was like, okay, well, what are you expecting from this container? And she came back with a whole entire list. And I just realized, I was like, I can't deliver on that, at least not at the price point that the client had signed up on. Um, just because of you know different boundaries that I have and the amount of time that it was going to take me to deliver on what she was expecting. And so I just recognized, I was like, you know what, this isn't a good fit. And so I gave her a partial refund. I think she had been in the container for like a week and she still had three weeks left. And so I gave her a refund for those three weeks. So 
obviously you got to figure out what is ultimately going on because if there is a deeper conversation that needs to be had because that client is unhappy for an underlying issue, then that needs to be worked through, right? But if their expectations are just simply not something that you can deliver upon um, or it doesn't align with the container in general, then that's a different conversation. All right, situation number four. Situation number four are freebie seekers. Freebie seekers. Freebie seekers. Freebie seekers. Um, I laughed when this came through in the question box on Instagram. Not because freebie seekers are funny, but because this is just so common in the online space. I mean, it, it literally happens every single day in my direct messages and in my emails. I Just before I hopped on to record this podcast, I got an email from a freebie seeker. So I get it. I get it. And it, it just happens. And for some reason, I think that people forget that online businesses are businesses. You'd never walk into a doctor's office and say, I demand a consultation for free and without an appointment. Like, let me in right now. I want to see the doctor. Or another scenario, you'd never walk into Target and go to the checkout and say, hey, is this blender on sale? Knowing that it's not on sale and then asking for a discount for that blender. And while these scenarios seem, they might seem like a little bit much, that's exactly what people do to online business owners. But I do want to make something clear in terms of this situation specifically, is that there are question askers, and then there are freebie seekers. And if you've ever had freebie seekers in your business, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I just wanted to make that clear because I definitely believe in answering questions and getting back to direct messages and emails. But with freebie seekers, there need to be boundaries that are set. Here are a few different things that I do. And again, all of this is situational. If they send me over a huge message and they are asking for personalized feedback, I'm going to say pretty much this is I mean, this is an exact script almost exactly each time. Thank you so much for reaching out, and I appreciate you being a part of this community. Out of respect for my paying one-on-one clients, I don't answer customized and personalized messages in my direct messages. Based on your question, I would recommend joining XYZ Offer, and then I'm going to link them into an offer. Now, if it's their first time messaging me and they're asking for advice, but the message isn't long and it wouldn't take me that long to respond, I will probably respond and give feedback. Like if they say, you know, I've been doing X, Y, Z. These are the results that I've had. Should I do this or should I do this? I'll say based on what you've given me or what you've told me, I'd recommend X, right? That's going to be like one sentence. It's probably going to take me five seconds to respond. So kind of sometimes I will base it off of response time of like, how long is this going to take me to respond? If it's longer than like 20 or 30 seconds, most of the time I don't have enough time to be able to give them more time. And so I will refer them somewhere else. Now, there are days where I do have time to do that. Most days, though, I don't because usually I'm not responding to just one direct message. Usually I have 50 or 100 or 500 other direct messages in my inbox that I need to respond to, right? And so if I'm giving like 60 seconds or even two minutes to each individual direct message, like that adds up really quick if I'm responding to 100 messages. And so that's something else to think about, too, is like sometimes you do have those days like, where you just don't have a lot that's going on. And that's totally fine. It doesn't mean they're not being successful or that you're not working hard enough. It's just sometimes you just have downtime and that's totally fine. Like maybe you're even just sitting at the airport and you're like, oh, I have a little bit of time to respond to this person. If you want to do that, great. Do it from a place of overflow. Now, if it's their 50th time messaging me, asking for free advice, honestly, probably going to leave you on red. Just being truthful. Now, if they message me and start off by saying they have no money, (laughs) people will do this. Maybe someone else can, maybe you can relate to this. And then they carry on to say, but I want advice on XYZ. And then they, you know, they're asking for all this personalized advice, but they don't want you to pitch them into any offers. What I'll usually do is I'll say, hey, you know, thanks for reaching out. My Instagram is filled with you know, a bunch of information. I would also sign up for my email list. And here's also the link to my podcast. And I would just send them a bunch of links. And I would just leave it at that. Uh, I'm not going to answer their personalized question. To me, it's like, don't start off with a message of I have no money. (laughs) To me, 
that's just something that I value is like investing in yourself. Obviously, I'm never going to tell you like, oh, you have to invest $100,000 in yourself to be successful. Like that's that's not who I am. Hopefully you know that if you're listening to this podcast. That's not who I am. But like if you're not willing to put some skin in the game, you're not going to get very far in my personal opinion. Now, if they message me asking me to create a piece of content on a specific question, this happens all the time. They'll reach out to me and they'll say, hey, Maya, I love your content so much. I would love to see a piece of content on, and then they (laughs) say XYZ topic. And then they're like, thanks so much. Heart emoji, heart emoji. (laughs) What I'll usually say is I'll add it to my list, but I plan my content way out in advance, which is true. I'm not lying. I won't be posting that anytime soon, but you can get an answer immediately and answers to probably all of the other questions that you have about XYZ topics by joining this offer and then I'll send them an offer. Ultimately though, there will always be freebie seekers and this applies to every niche, every industry in the entire world. But also something I've had to realize is that just because someone has a question doesn't mean that they wouldn't or aren't going to pay. So assumptions aren't the best and there are certain messages though that do cross my boundaries and I stand firm in those when they do happen. But I also, for a long time there, I was in the mindset of like, I'm not going to answer any questions because everyone is just looking for free advice. But it's like, I also had to put myself in like their shoes. Like if I were in their shoes asking for advice, like at the start of their business, start of their journey, like, you know, they're struggling with XYZ things. Like I would love it, you know, if someone answered uh, my question, even if it was just like the simplest of questions. So ultimately, Again, there are always freebie seekers. So what should you do? Provide value and give freely on your feed and through your emails and maybe some long form content. Like I guess emails would be long form content, but like blog posts or podcasts or YouTube's, whatever makes sense, right? I'm not saying to do all of those things, but whatever you have in your business, then focus your time and energy on those who see the value in what you provide and want to support you by being a customer. And I'm not saying that the people who never become a customer are not worth your time and shouldn't be paid attention to. So please do not take that the wrong way. I'm just saying set boundaries when it comes to giving for free and don't be afraid to send people to your feed if they want free results. Because here's the thing. I'm guessing, I'm guessing that if you're listening to this, you are someone who's giving so much for free. Don't get me wrong. That is something I believe so, 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 so deeply when it comes to being a successful business owner is giving freely. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries, right? So when you're giving so much for free, like if I'm being quite honest with you, everything that you possibly need to know is on my podcast, in my email, on my Instagram account. Truthfully, because I give so freaking much. To me, that means that I have even stronger set boundaries when it comes to those freebie seekers because I do give so much and because you can find so much information in all the things that I spend so much time creating. Like I probably spend just as much time creating free offers and free resources as I do paid offers. Anyways, that's, that's a topic for another day. But setting boundaries around those freebie seekers definitely key. All right, situation number five. How would you navigate a low income month? This is a really good question. And the first thing that I want to say here is I have had a low income month. Like I feel like someone asked this question thinking that I had never had a low income month. I have. And low income months are normal to an extent. If we're talking about normal, like you nor- you're normally making, let's just say $10,000 a month. And then you have a month where you make $1,000. I'm going to be a little bit concerned. And I definitely would look into that deeper. But if you're going from, you know, 10K to 7K, I'm not super worried. As a real life example, in my business, these numbers are revenue, not cash. Because I don't know cash off the top of my head. And if I did, I would give it to you. But these numbers are revenue. So just keep that in mind. This is not excluding expenses. This is a real life example. So in January, that was 120K month in my business. February was a 75K month. March was a 52K month. April was a 75K month. May was a 65K month. So if we're looking at January versus March, that's a lower month for sure, right? Like almost a third of what I made in January is what I made in March. So January, 120K, March, 52K. (laughs) 
But March was actually more of an average month, while January was above average. So that's something to look at as well, is what is the average and is your last month or is your low month below the average or were previous months just above average, which there's nothing wrong with that. Like if previous months were above average, like freaking celebrate the heck out of that. But also like don't be down when your low month is actually your average month. Truly the ups and downs are just part of entrepreneurship. And obviously there's ways to like minimize the severity of the ups and downs. Again, you know, if you're going from a 10K month to a 1K month, like that's a different story. We got to talk. <laughs> but the severity of the, you know, the, the ups and downs are normal. And then even when you do try to minimize the severity of those ups and downs, you're still going to have down months. So when you do have those lower income months, the ones that are even below average, because those will still happen too. I'm not saying that you're not ever going to have a below average month, but again, got to put everything into perspective of is it a below average month or is it just an average month? There's a lot of different factors into that. But a few things that have really, really helped me with lower income months is calculating how much I've made for the year and having each month add to my yearly total versus just looking at each month as its own total. So this helps me to recognize that every month draws me closer to my goal. So of course, like, I mean, I just spouted off the top of my head what those numbers were in terms of my revenue for, you know, January through May. So like, I know my numbers on a month to month basis. So I'm not saying to not know them. My focus is more so on what is my yearly total versus what is my monthly total? Because so much can change in 2021 is when I started my business. And up until September of 2021, I had only made $8,000. And between September and December, I had made $92,000. So if I had looked at my business like on a month to month basis from, you know, I was looking at January, I was looking at February, I was looking at so on and so forth. Like if I was just looking at a month to month basis and I was asking, telling myself, I'm like, okay, you're never going to reach 100K year. I probably would have never reached 100K year. But again, I was looking at from the perspective of the entire year. So like looking at 2021, it was 100K year. And most of that income came in September, October, November, December, which is four months. So in the, basically like the last quarter of that year is when I hit 100K months. And so that's why I really like looking from the perspective of the yearly total versus the monthly total. So much can change in a month. Like 2021, I started my business, I hit 100K. 2022, my second year business, leading up to, I mean, November of 2022, I don't remember exactly what my income was at that point, but November of 2022 was 160K month in revenue, right? And so that month, that was almost a 200K month, totally changed the outcome of the total of my entire year, like what I made for the entire year of 2022. So again, these are just random, you know, examples, but it, it just goes to show like, just because you have a low month doesn't mean that you're not going to hit your yearly goals. So perspective shift there. But another thing that has really helped me is recognizing lower income months as a huge learning opportunity. Usually, not 100% of the time, but usually you can look back at the lower month and find out why it was lower. Like for example, last month for me wasn't necessarily low, but I also didn't hit my goal. But as I was reflecting, I knew why I didn't hit my goal, which is because I was traveling for half the month and I sold uh, my offers like one day out of those 15 days that I was traveling. So no selling equals no sales. Usually, obviously I still had sales coming through, but it wasn't as great as it would have been if I was actually talking about my offers. So that was less income. Now every month won't be that obvious as you reflect, but I promise that there's always something to be learned always, 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 always. So take the time to reflect and ask yourself and really dig deep of like, why was this a lower month for me? Another thing is not tying my worth to my income is, and this one's really huge because I then can look at those lower income months without the emotional attachment to them and really do what's best for my business based off of what I learn. And so it's not like this emotional thing, you know, I'm not getting into a spiral. I'm not like, there's no attachment between my value and my worth as a person to how much money my business is making. And so it really allows me to better serve my business in that sense. 
And lastly, not basing the success of my business off of my monthly income or just income alone in general. There is so much to celebrate in business and income is just one of those things. And don't get me wrong, income is a big thing. Like obviously if you're not making any money and you know, you're working 24 seven, like that's something we got to chat about. Like of course income is a big thing, but like think about all the other things that you can celebrate inside of your business and really focusing on those things as well. All right, number six in terms of situations. When a client or student doubts or second guesses your knowledge or advice. Honestly, when I was writing notes before I sat down to record this episode, I write notes just to make sure that my thoughts are all in one place so I don't go off on too many tangents, only just a few tangents every episode. (laughs) If you've listened to any of my episodes, you already know. So I write some notes down, but as I was writing these notes, this situation really kind of had me stuck. My first instinct (laughs) was to send them an about page on my website with all my credentials and remind them that I'm the expert, but I think that's a little bit passive aggressive. But honestly, what I do after some thought on this different situation here is ask them specifically what they are questioning or doubting. It's so easy for our brains to jump to conclusions and write stories that aren't even true. I'd start with digging a little bit deeper and asking them something as simple as, thank you for bringing these doubts to my attention. I want to make sure that this space is not just a safe space, not just a safe space, but a space where you can, you know, trust me and share all the things that you're going through because that's so important, (laughs) you know, if you're working with clients or students. So I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into this if you're open to it. And then from there, I'd ask them what specifically about XYZ things they aren't sure about. And then from there, I would also try and pull up as much like cold hard facts, statistics, past experiences, maybe even past experiences of some of your clients uh, so they can see that it's kind of a tried and true thing versus just like an opinion. And if it is an opinion, then that's fine too. And I would express that to them of like, hey, you know, this is my personal opinion. Like obviously my opinion comes from, you know, my different experiences, the different people that I've worked with. And that's totally fine. Like it doesn't have to be cold, hard facts, but also being really honest of like, this is my opinion. And if you don't agree with that, then that's totally fine. Right. But something else I might address here though, depending on how the conversation goes is whether they are questioning whether or not to follow a certain piece of advice because of past experiences that they've had. And what I mean by that is that they might have tried a course in the past, or they might've hired a coach in the past that didn't give them the results that they were hoping for. And so they aren't really doubting you. They're just kind of questioning if it's actually going to work. And you might be thinking, well, that is doubting me. No, it's not doubting you and your abilities. Like obviously they have confidence in you if they signed up for your offer, if they signed up to, you know, be a part of your space, but they do have these doubts that are kind of coming up of like, oh, well, Uh, Maybe you're even teaching them something similar, not not like the exact same thing, right? But like maybe it's like a similar concept in one of the trainings or, you know, the conversation that you're having. You might have given them maybe a similar piece of advice as they got in the past, but they're like, well, that didn't work out for me. So now they're kind of questioning, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to see results. And so I would kind of dig deeper into that. And lastly, another thing that could be coming up here is whether or not they feel that what you teach is positioned as the only way. They might have different thoughts, but you are unintentionally coming across in a way that your knowledge and advice is the only way to achieve a certain result. So for you, like just taking a step back and looking at how you position the advice or knowledge and really letting them know that they can, that you can only speak from personal experiences and like the knowledge that you've gained from, you know, your years of experience or certifications, whatever it is where you've gained your knowledge and other clients of yours and their experiences, and that they can always choose to not follow your advice. They meaning, you know, whoever this client or student is. So they can always choose to not follow your advice. And I think that's really important too. And that's why if you've ever been inside one of my trainings, I always start off my trainings with talking about discernment and how important discernment is where it's like, if you are listening to me and there is something where you're like, Ooh, I don't like that. Or no, I don't want to implement that into my business. Like that is the power of, well, I would say intuition, but like the power of being a business owner is you don't have to take everything that everyone says and implement it. And if we did, we'd spend our entire 
businesses implementing and probably never actually getting anywhere. <laughs> so discernment is good, right? It, it's knowing what is going to work for you and what's not going to work for you. And the same exact concept applies, you know, that we need to teach our students and our clients as well, where it's like, there needs to be a discernment here where it's like not everything that I teach and everything that, you know, you learn inside of here, it may or may not be for you, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that like, that it's full of fluff and it doesn't mean that you don't, you know, know the topic that you're teaching on. Like it has nothing to do with like your knowledge and expertise. It's just simply the fact that like everything that you teach can't make sense for everyone's businesses. They're all going to have different, you know, past experiences. They're all going to have different current experiences. They're all, you know, working different jobs. They're all doing different things in their life. So it's like, there's no way for, you know, especially trainings inside of courses and things like that to be it's not a one size fits all kind of situation. And so I think that's really important for us to, you know, have discernment as, you know, for ourselves as we are going through offers, as we're listening and learning from other people. But it's also important to remind our our customers and our students and our clients to also have discernment as well. And so that could be something that's coming up there too. Situation number seven, booking and rescheduling policies for live coaching calls. What I found to work best is being very, 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 very clear up front and multiple times. So this means including your policies on the checkout page for the offer, in the terms of use, in the welcome email, and the coaching reminder emails. There should be no excuse as to why that client shouldn't know about the policy. I will say that situation number seven was this situation that was submitted was a little bit more general. So in case whoever submitted this was meaning like, more of like booking and rescheduling policies in terms of like, how do you actually set them up? I want to talk about that as well. So ultimately, it's up to you. (laughs) Discernment, just kidding, Um, but also not kidding at the same time. It's up to you in terms of what makes sense to you and your business and your clients. But I will share my policies and maybe that's a really, maybe that'll give you a good place to get started. For booking, I have a link that I send out in a welcome email. So after you purchase from me, you'll get a, a welcome email. It runs you through all the details in that email. It's going to give you steps. And part of one of those steps is to book a call, which then obviously allows my clients to schedule their call. And in that same email or in that same message, I will I make it very, very clear that they are in charge of booking calls from there on out using that same link. And that calls need to be booked two weeks apart. And I've only ever had it, knock on wood, I've only ever had two times when I've had clients clients who didn't book that I had to remind them to book. And it wasn't even that big of a deal. I was just like, hey, and uh, I don't see you on my calendar. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. And then they just went and booked. Not a big deal whatsoever. That's worked really, really well for me. But if you are doing this and you're like, okay, well, I'm doing that. And I'm allowing my clients to book and it's not working out. You know, they aren't showing up or they're not booking or they're, they're forgetting. It's becoming a headache. What I would say is make sure you have reminder emails set up and not just reminder emails for like the call itself, because that's not going to be helpful if they haven't actually booked the call, but reminder emails to remind them to actually schedule the call or something that might need to happen here. Again, discernment. You might need to increase your price to a price where your clients actually care enough to show up and book. Point blank. Now, when it comes to rescheduling, my policy is one reschedule for free as long as it's done 48 hours or more before the call time. And then any reschedule outside of that, you know, reschedule number two, three, four, five, so on and so forth is a $50 charge. Why do I do this? Again, discernment. This might not be the best thing for your business. I don't think it's necessarily the best thing for every business, but why I do this, I don't want to deal with people rescheduling, scheduling, rescheduling, scheduling all the time. If someone is rescheduling something that is like a month in advance, for example, that's fine. And I'm not going to charge them for that because that's fine. That It's a month in advance. But most of the time, the reason why I have this policy set in place is for people who are you know, doing it like the day before or even the hour before. And that's a big no for me. The client needs to be respectful of the business's time, which is aka your time. And if they're not like, then there needs to be a boundary and a policy set in place there. Now, if the client misses out on scheduling a call, uh, or if they don't show up to a call, they forfeit the call. And it can't be added on at another time. And if the client doesn't want to hop on a call and they just want to check in via Voxer messaging, which is what I use with my clients, then that's totally fine. But the call won't be added on at a later time to make up for lost time, for example. And all of these policies are very, very clear before you ever book with me. But I also remind you after booking as well. That's what I do in terms of booking and rescheduling and policies and things like that. Ultimately, though, 
I would sit down and say, you know, what makes sense with where I'm at in my business? What makes sense in terms of how busy my schedule is? Like, for example, one of my one-on-one clients, she is a single mom. Um, She's fantabulous. She's running a very, very successful business, but she does not have, uh, you know, time in her schedule for her clients to be scheduling and rescheduling and pushing calls back and not hopping on calls. And and so, like, there needs to be a very, very strict policy there for her to be able to continue doing one-on-one work. And so she does have a very strict policy. That's just kind of the thing that you, you, you know, that going into signing up with her, you know, it's not like you signed up with me, you paid all surprise. And here's all my policies. You know, it's like, to me, that's like a big no. And that's why I believe so strongly in terms and conditions and contracts is because it needs to be very, very clear what they're getting themselves into before they even sign up. And I don't mean that in like a bad way, but like they need to know what your boundaries are before they sign in because Number one, it's going to help them to respect your boundaries even more. But number two, it's also like if they are looking for someone who has different boundaries or those boundaries don't work for them for whatever reason, like maybe they're in a different time zone and like the times that you're, you know, available just doesn't work for them. Like it might logistically just not work for them. Like they need to know those things, you know. Situation number eight, people enrolling, paying and coming to some coaching sessions and then dropping off. Well, first off, it's a good thing that they are paying. Usually it's the payment that's the issue and not the client that's not showing up. But a few things that I'd say, number one, I'd look at the length of the container. Maybe it's too long and people just simply don't need that long with you. Or maybe it's too long to hold their interest and attention. They're kind of just dropping off. That's something I see a lot of times. And I don't know what coaching sessions could be anything. Like for me, like coaching session, I think of it as one-on-one coaching, but also a coaching session could be like, if you have a mini mind or like a group program, things like that. So there are different types of group coaching sessions. And so if you're talking about like a group offer, I would say specifically the longer the group offer, you're going to see drop off over the time just because it happens. People aren't going to stay as engaged over time unless you're like really freaking engaging and it's like very structured and like, I don't know, it's a very good price point that people want to stay engaged. But most of the time, I don't see a lot of offers that keep people engaged over a long period of time. So that's something that I would look into is the length of the container. Number two, I'd say look at how you are checking in with them or if you are checking in with them. If you're checking in and they're just simply not replying, like obviously they came to some of the coaching calls and then you're checking in and you're like, hey, like schedule your call or hey, are you going to show up to your call? And they're just like not replying. There's not really much that you can do. I personally, I wouldn't refund them because they still owe the amount whether or not they're utilizing that container. But I would make sure that you keep those messages where you are following up with them. Like, make sure you have, like, proof of that somewhere. And I would make sure that you do that multiple times, so not just, like, one time, you know, and then, like, they have, like, multiple sessions after. Like, make sure that, like, you follow up with them, like, four or five times. That way, just in case something happens, you know, like, a dispute on a payment or something comes up that you have the evidence of, like, no, like, I tried to follow up and this client, like they just didn't work with me. And then of course, make sure you have good contracts or terms of use. And lastly, I'd look at the clients that you are bringing into the container. And and this depends on the container too. Mainly this is like one-on-one coaching, but to me, those clients don't sound like your dream clients. Dream clients are going to be the ones that show up, they put in the work, you know, they value your time. They want to be there. They're invested. I would ask you, are you taking on everyone and is your coaching priced at a price point that is catering to everyone? Or are you being picky? Are you taking on your dream clients? Are you vetting these people? And is your price point at a price that people want to show up, that people are excited to show up? Something to think about there. Situation number nine, someone wanting a discovery call when you don't offer any, what is the best response? I would simply say, I would love to chat with you and answer any of your questions that you have. I don't do discovery calls, but you're more than welcome to send over those questions that you have via direct message, or if you're chatting with them, email, you could say, or email or whatever, and I'll answer them as soon as possible. I would leave it at that. That's all. You can answer the same questions that you would answer on a discovery call in your direct messages or email. And if you're in direct messages and you like voice memos, you could send voice memos to them. And it's, in my opinion, very similar to being on a discovery call. Okay, situation number 10. Trolls on social media. Okay, I have 5 million things that I could say on this topic, but I'm going to hold back 
because I'm probably going to create an entire separate podcast episode on this in the future because I have so many things that I want to say. What I will say is this. Don't respond back to them. No good ever comes from responding to trolls. Trolls are just truly looking for a fight. So you responding to them, it just fuels the fire inside of them. If you are going to respond back, give it 72 hours, 24 hours minimum, but like 72 hours, like for me, I'm like, I need lots of time to cool off from some of those troll messages. So three days at least for me, that's what I would say. Give it 72 hours. And then if you still want to reply back to them, kill them with kindness. That's my motto. Kill them with kindness. If I ever respond back, uh, I didn't used to do this always, but this is just what I do now. I will say, thank you, heart emoji, heart emoji. Sometimes I'll even say, thank you, heart emoji, heart emoji. I hope you have a better day. (laughs) And if I, again, if I'm going to respond back, that's what I say. That is all that I will say. I will not sit there and argue with them. It's just fueling the fire. And people will say, oh, it's really good for engagement. It's just not good for your mental health, at least in my opinion. So just don't do it. If it's really bugging you and it's human of you, if it does, (laughs) and if you're listening to this and it doesn't bug you, then please drop into my direct messages and tell me how tell me how you uh, handle that, navigate that, um, because it bugs me every single time without fail. But if it is really bugging you, block delete. The two most, I mean, actually, I'm pretty sure if you block, you don't even need to delete it because I'm pretty sure Instagram just deletes it for you. But it's just a satisfying, it's so satisfying to just sit there and swipe and delete their message. So do it anyways. But those are the two most blessed buttons on Instagram, block and delete. I block, honestly, I would say on average about 50 accounts per day. And that's not an exaggeration. Like that's on average. There there are some days where it's a lot more. So out of sight, out of mind, do it, do it if you need it. And something else, move on. (laughs) Easier said than done, but just focus on your next post. Focus on the next task in your business. Don't dwell in the comment section. Do not dwell in the comment section. Literally write that on a post-it note, stick it on your computer screen, whatever, wherever you need to put it. Lastly, what I'll say on trolls before I wrap this episode up. If needed, take a little IG break. It is healthy and your business is not going to burn down if you step away for a few days. I promise you, it's not going to. All right, that is it for part two on how I navigate that. I really, really, really hope that this episode brought just as much value, if not more value, than the last episode that I did. And again, if you haven't listened to part one, it is episode 12, so go listen to that right now. But thank you so much for tuning in. I will chat with you next week. If this episode has served you in any way, I'd love it if you shared what you've learned, any aha moments that you may have had, or something that you loved, and tag me on Instagram at Maya Nicole. And if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review so that we can continue to learn and grow together. Thank you so much for your support. I love you, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.